And I really see like um, going through recovery as really a second chance for people. And I love that. I love seeing them really like grab onto that and running with it because you know, one of the traits that we know for a lot of people, and not, not to stereotype, but for a lot of people with addictions, you know, it's all or nothing, black or white. But that can work really well when it comes to getting yeah. healthy, right? Because they get really into it. That's why I love working with this population, because you give them like some things to work on, and they like go full tilt. At least that's been my experience. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol, and then to go on and thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from our Sober Spring WhatsApp group. Hi, I'm Roz, and I would like to say a big thank you to everyone at Tribe Sober. I'd also like to say a special thank you to my fellow passengers traveling with me on the Sober Spring Challenge. Guys, without your support, your advice, your help, your guidance, I would never have come this far. Uh, The journey so far has been amazing. You're out there 24-7, and we're going all the way. Thank you, everyone. So if you want to join our community and do a sober spring, just go to tribesober.com and check us out. After six years of doing this work, I've really got to love the recovery space and the people that I meet there. Not only do I meet people who need help and people who've been sober for a while, but I also meet doctors and therapists and experts who are passionate about recovery and willing to share their time with me. My guest this week is one of those people. She's passionate about helping people in recovery. Dr. Dawn Bantel, a naturopathic doctor based in Arizona, she has many years of experience in the recovery space. I began by asking Dawn to introduce herself. My name is Dawn Bantel. I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor in Arizona, and uh, which is, it's been great experience because I, in Arizona, our licensure permits us to be primary care physicians. And so during my career, I've spent most of my career uh, working in treatment centers, helping people recover from addictions. Right. Okay. So you trained as a naturopathic doctor and then you, you've had 
a couple of decades in the recovery space. Mm-hmm. So can you explain what, what drew you to that um, that area? Because it is quite a specialization, isn't it? It is, yeah. And and it was just, it's not, nothing I really planned. I had always been interested in psychology and I studied psychology for my undergraduate degree and uh, then went to naturopathic school and uh, just ended up working at an eating disorder treatment center, which was really, which was great. It really married those two things for me because I loved working with young women and I loved the mental health aspect of it too. So marrying the the physical part and the mental health part uh, and just really helping people transition through that time in their lives is really satisfying. And then it just evolved into treating other addictions and, uh, when I started to work with men, I was like, this is great, too. I love working with men in recovery. So, yeah, it's, it's just been really extraordinary for me. Yeah, it is quite a special space, isn't it? I think uh, there's such a vulnerability about people yes. in the, in this uh, space. When we, we have workshops and we always begin our workshops with people just sharing their stories. And it's mm-hmm. amazing. You know, they're, they're all strangers to each other, yet they really open their hearts. And there's something about... When you get into this state, when you become addicted to something, you just have to to reach out, don't you, and and be vulnerable before you can uh, can make before you can get better, really. So, as you know, I work with people that have been drinking too much alcohol, which is what I did for many years. Mm-hmm. So, can you just summarize for us the the harm that alcohol does for to our bodies, our brains, just about everywhere? Yeah, it really is pretty much everywhere. I I don't really know an exception to that. Uh, It's unfortunate that culturally it's so acceptable. uh, And I think that just makes people more vulnerable to using that that substance to to cope. Uh, So yeah, we, we know that it has repercussions everywhere. I mean, the liver is an obvious place that it causes damage, but also we know like in the brain and that it uh, increases people's risk for cancers or seven different kinds of cancers that are increased uh, risk when people drink alcohol and dementia is another concern. And I think just there seems to be more awareness about uh, those conditions, especially as baby boomers age, you know, they're starting to think about like the next phase of life and and wanting to take precautions and hopefully like younger people are too. So that's what I think about and what I I worry about when uh, people are using alcohol regularly. Yes, yes. I mean, you're you're right about the baby boomers. I mean, I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I interviewed a British psychiatrist that works with baby boomers, helping them with their their alcohol issues. And he said a huge problem in the UK, you know, where where he works from. And I think it's because, you know, we've just grown up with alcohol culturally. I mean, I started in my teens and I just carried on. Whereas my parents, when they were in their teens and 20s and 30s that they didn't drink you know not not like we drank the baby boomers because we uh it was just part of our our lives we'd have wine with dinner every evening have dinner parties that went on till three o'clock in the morning and all our friends were heavy drinkers and a lot of people were in that uh in that place so yeah and and i had breast cancer when i was Mm. 55 um 
And I remember asking my oncologist, because I had a mastectomy chemotherapy, you know, it's quite mm -hmm. serious. And I asked my oncologist, I said, okay, I don't want this thing coming back. I can't go through all this again. What what should I do? I'll do anything, you know, I'll eat uh, lettuce and I'll, I'll drink mm -hmm. water, whatever, just tell me. And he said, no, no. He said, you must go away and enjoy your life now. You know, you've, you've got through this. You must eat what you want, drink what you like, and, you know, enjoy your life. And I said, including alcohol. And he said, yes, of course, you know, nothing mm. wrong with, with a bit of wine. So, I mean, this was quite a long time ago now, but I, I almost felt like I'd be given carte blanche to, to carry on drinking, which, which I did. So um, I think, you know, it still has to be emphasised a lot, especially for people that have been ill with breast cancer. And um, people don't realize, I just don't think there's the recognition of the risk out there. And, and one thing uh, that surprised me that uh, I really, I wanted to put out there to educate people about, you don't even need to drink a lot of alcohol or, I mean, it's just even like a few drinks a week increases women's risk of breast cancer. And that's shocking. At least it yeah. was shocking for me. Yeah. yeah, because I saw your Instagram little video thing, and that was very recent, wasn't it? You've yeah. you've changed your view. So I thought that was very interesting that someone like you has changed her view about alcohol and breast cancer. So yeah. we can hardly drink anything, really. If, if we really want to be healthy, we shouldn't touch the stuff, should we? Right, right. And I think that that's an important message for people to receive. Uh, you know, for me personally, like, I do enjoy having a drink or even like in the past, like having several drinks during the week, but that's compelling enough for me as a very moderate drinker to really change my view on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard you on a podcast saying you've had one drink this year. I was very impressed. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's, it's been two now, but that, yeah. <laughs> oh, I maybe think... it was in January, that one. <laughs> right. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So alcohol plays habit with our hormones, doesn't it? And in in my case, I was actually pushed into menopause. I had a, like a chemical menopause because I was going through chemotherapy and then that kind of pushed me into menopause, which was really difficult. But generally, you know, if someone isn't going through something like that and they're drinking a lot and going through menopause, do you think it, it makes the symptoms work worse? Uh, there, I suspect it does. You know, when you asked me that, I wasn't entirely sure. I mean, I, it was an assumption I've made and uh, what people have told me. Uh, and I really didn't see anything substantial as far as symptoms in the research, but that's probably just a limitation of what's been researched. Um, we do know that drinking alcohol does affect how women metabolize their estrogen. And so you, you do have alterations there that likely impact uh, what kind of symptoms you're going through. I mean, for sure, bringing it back to the breast cancer conversation, uh, we do know that the metabolites of estrogen that are, make you more prone to developing breast cancer are increased when people drink. So that's yeah. one of the, the mechanisms. Yeah. And I think my breast cancer was estrogen positive or, you know, there was something mm -hmm. going on. 
Yeah, anxiety. One of my favorite memes, I don't know if you've seen it. I saw it on Instagram once. Uh, it says, drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on your anxiety. Right. And I think that's true. And it's so ironic, isn't it? Because we we drink, we start drinking sometimes because we have got social anxiety or we're exhausted with our anxiety and it calms it for a short time, but eventually it makes it worse, doesn't it? Right. Any explanation about why that happens? Yeah. Uh, well, we do know what's going on in the brain with that, but just just a quick um, story about that. I I post on TikTok. Maybe you heard that. When I mentioned that on the yeah, other I was podcast. Impressed. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of wandered into TikTok, um, and one of the, the video that has had the most views is one where I talk about how. A lot of people who have problems with drinking, they began drinking in an effort to manage their anxiety. And yeah. that one's had almost half a million views. And so wow. it really, yeah, it really, re it just brought home, it really resonated uh, how, and, and plus all the comments, it really resonated with a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people shared in the comments, like uh, they're concerned about that and they're wondering about other ways. So people... I think people often, you know, they're just looking, they're looking for a way to cope and alcohol often is very available and it's effective, or at least they think it's effective, right? It works in the short term, but it's not long-term as far as the effectiveness. And back to your question, uh, we do know what happens in the brain when, when people drink alcohol, it helps them calm at first, but what happens is that the neurotransmitters will adapt and shift and, and you actually create more anxiety. And so it creates this loop where um, people become dependent on the, the alcohol to quell their anxiety when in actuality in their brain, they're increasing the anxiety. There's increasing the, those, those neurotransmitters that contribute to anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I still remember all those 3 a.m. wake-ups, you know, you just wrapped right. with anxiety. And I guess that's when the alcohol's leaving your body and your brain is all over the place. Yeah, the glutamate, that's really what's responsible for that. And um, glutamate is the neurotransmitter is also what we're concerned about when people are going through withdrawal. You know, that's that's the neurotransmitters that's responsible for all those withdrawal symptoms that people have, those life-threatening withdrawal symptoms, because it's very... Um, uh, kind of an excitability neurotransmitter that people have in their brains. So let's talk about healing a little bit. I mean, when we stop drinking, we've got once we've managed that, we've then got to focus, haven't we, on healing our, our brains and our bodies to the best that we can. So we're we're obviously all different, and we'll have different issues. But can you give us some general guidelines on what we can do to start? healing after we've been addicted to alcohol for a number of years. Yeah. And in my experience, I've found that people really want that, like mm -hmm. their sense of self, like the alcohol or the other substances don't really fit into what they really want for themselves. You know, and I, I really see like um, going through recovery as really a, a second chance for people. Yeah. And I love that. I love seeing them really like grab onto that and running with it because you know, one of the traits that we know for a lot of people, and not, not to stereotype, but for a lot of people with addictions, you know, it's all or nothing, black or white. 
But that can work really well when it comes to getting <laughs> healthy, right? Because they get really into it. That's why I love working with this population because you give them like some things to work on and they like go full tilt. At least that's been my experience. I yeah, love yeah. that. Oh, mine um, too, yeah. There, there's no hesitation, like all no, in. We just go for it all <laughs> or nothing, you see. When we drink, we have to drink it all. Yes, <laughs> or we yes. stop. <laughs> and it works the other way too. Like if you can channel that, you know, for good things, it works really yeah, well. Yeah. Um, so, so really, I think to pull in a lot of these things that you're seeing out there as far as wellness, I mean, that's what I see my role as is to really help, um, people with the information as to like how they can start, how they can support their bodies through healing after addiction. Uh, so there are so many different, there's so many different avenues, but I guess you could really boil it down to, uh, the big ones. Sleep is foundational huge. Um, people with addictions don't have good sleep. And that's for a number of reasons. Maybe that was there before and that contributed to the addiction. Hmm. Uh, and for alcohol, for sure, you know, how many people have told me that they started drinking because they couldn't sleep? They had insomnia. Uh, so sleep, for sure. Uh, diet is a huge piece and exercise. I mean, the, those are really the pillars of, of health. And it's not sexy. <laughs> I mean, we all want like the like magic pill, but those are really, really the things yeah. that make the biggest yeah. difference. A lot of people can't sleep in early sobriety and, and that's really right. tough. You know, they lie there for hours. I did. Uh, I, I just used to read. I used to read my quitlet until three o'clock in the morning, but I would have preferred to sleep. Any any hacks for that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, another thing I'm always thinking about is decreasing risk for relapse. And when people can't sleep, I mean, they're less resilient. Uh, we know that, you know, if they're not sleeping, that's going to impact their emotional regulation during the day. And they're going to have more anxiety if they're prone to anxiety. Uh, they're going to be more reactive. So as far as advice, I mean, I think do what it takes. I like, of course, I like the more natural supplements. I mean, I encourage people to try all those things, you know, um, meditation before bed. There are a lot of different like herbal therapies to try uh, at bedtime, uh, amino acids. Uh, and I'll just put them out there. I mean, as far as amino acids, if people haven't heard of this, um, I'm a big fan of L-theanine. That's really calming. That's the amino acid from green tea that helps with calming and focus. Glycine is another uh, amino acid that people can use to help with sleep and increases the amount of deep sleep people get. If those things don't work, though, like, do whatever it takes. I mean, if you need a medication to help you sleep, yeah. especially in that first part, yeah. like, again, this is relapse prevention. This is really yeah. helping you so that your brain can bounce back. You know, as far as long term, using those medications, those are problematic. But uh, definitely, I, I certainly encourage people to do that if they need to, if that's what they have yeah. to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, as you say, we've got to build up our resilience, haven't mm -hmm. we? Because I, I found early sobriety very difficult. I was I was okay for the first few months, you know, it was pink cloud and mm -hmm. oh, this is great, this is easy. And then I plummeted, you know, my mood was really low, mm -hmm. I was struggling to sleep, and I nearly gave up, you know, many times in, in that patch, you know, that couple of months. 
but gradually I got through that. So, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time reassuring people just to keep going and keep going. And even if it's miserable, you know, it won't be like that forever. Because right. if I remember thinking, if this is sobriety, you know, I'm not interested. I'm going back right. to my wine. Exactly. You know, it's a choice, isn't it? But thank Absolutely. goodness, you know, I, I hung in there. And that's important for, and so that's really part of being a community, as you know, I mean, that's what you're providing for people. That's so essential because people feel so alone as they go through the process and have that support and have people like you who can mentor and say, yeah, I went through this too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's essential because um, I tried to do it alone for about 10 years because Mm -hmm. I couldn't stand the thought of giving up alcohol. I thought I'm going to moderate, you know, and just Mm -hmm. drink but uh, obviously that didn't work. I could do it for a few weeks and then everything would um, go to pieces. So so that was hopeless. Uh, and I stayed isolated like that because I was embarrassed. You know, there was a lot of shame oh, there. Worries. I thought, well, and I thought I've got myself into this mess. You know, I can get myself out of it. Right. Because I, but I couldn't. And, and the relief, you know, when I did meet people that I could relate to and had the same issue was enormous because I thought, well, it's not just me. You know, a lot of people are in this state. It's and it's, more- inc- it's incongruent, too. I mean, people are so accomplished in so much of their life. You know, I mean, I've met the most amazing people. I mean, people that are so like they're like famous or they're they're they um, have really just done really well in their careers. And so it doesn't make sense. Like, why can't they just like work their way out of this? Yeah, well, that's what I kept saying. I'm a strong person. Why can't I achieve this objective? I achieved every other objective. But uh, it was impossible. Right. But once I had a community, it worked. So, um, so yeah, I agree. And I think uh, connection is the opposite of addiction, we always say. For sure. And we don't have enough of it. That's so important. No, but it's getting better, I think. I mean, there's now sober communities all over the world. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, really. And there's also a lot of alcohol-free drinks these days, which uh, even when I gave up six years ago, there was nothing really, which made me feel even more sorry for myself. But uh, now we've got a lady in our community and she used to drink a bottle of champagne every night. And now she drinks a bottle of non-alcoholic champagne every night. (laughs) And she doesn't doesn't feel half as miserable. And and she's saying already, you know, I'm struggling to get through a bottle. So I think, you know, Mm. that'll... That'll reduce significantly. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So let's talk about pause, you know, still in the early sobriety Mm -hmm. phase, about those cravings and the, the, because I think the more we know about, this the the more we're likely to to get through it aren't we and not cave in what what kind of things can we expect when we ditch the booze uh for sure increased anxiety uh i mean really it's gonna have the biggest impact on mood um for some people it's gonna be depression um just a lack of uh joy often you know it can be often for people to tap into that uh for some people, it's going to be like low energy. So just an overall, like not feeling great. So 
uh, again, it's just, it really takes a while for the body to, to adapt. I know in Chinese medicine, and, and this isn't, I mean, I had a little bit of Chinese medicine in my schooling, but I remember, you know, it really takes a month for every year. It takes a month of healing for every year that you had a condition. And I, I think often people expect like it's on or it's off, you know, just turn it off and you're going to be okay. But yeah. healing does take a long time. Yeah, that's a really it, good guideline, actually. I'm going to start using that because uh, I, I was, uh, my pattern was a social drinker during 20s and 30s. But when I got to 40s and 50s, that's when I started becoming dependent. So really, mm -hmm. that's, you know, I've got to look at three decades, you know, of drinking. So a month, you know, for each of those. And that that kind of makes sense when I look back because it was really only towards the end of my second year that started feeling really great again so yeah that that's a good guideline and it stops people being so impatient because I get whatsapp messages and people say I've been sober for three weeks and I feel crap I know <laughs> I think, well it's gonna take a bit longer than three weeks and that's a lot of our job is to be cheerleaders and just reassure people like it's yeah. gonna be okay and that's actually that's something like I really enjoy when I work with people is really like, maybe we can get them fast, get them there faster, you know, doing yeah. the, the functional testing and finding yeah. out like, are, are there other things that are contributing to this that we can really help support you with? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure it's a great area of research, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. there are so many people in this fix and, and it's wonderful if you can expedite the, the recovery period. Um, yeah, a lot of people crave sweets and chocolates. I mean, mm, I, I tell right. them to think about eating fresh fruit instead, but, um, you know, it doesn't hit the spot sometimes. So you've worked with people with food addictions. Is there a concern that there'll be kind of cross addiction there or <laughs> is what? Do you yeah, think? I've definitely worked with a lot of people who have had cross addictions often well i mean it, it, it can take any form but often uh, many people i've worked with because of my specialty in eating disorders maybe they started with an eating disorder it because that's something that's a maladaptive behavior people can latch on to to cope at an early age and then as time goes on they find other ways that might be substances and then perhaps they go back to the eating disorder um, as a way to cope with things once they, they've given up the substances and become sober. Uh, now, with that said, I mean, you can certainly have struggles with uh, sugar cravings and, and eating uh, in the absence of an eating disorder, right? So, yeah, I, I think there isn't – I wish there was like a magic bullet for those sugar cravings or the the – wanting to eat in early, especially early recovery and, and not aware of anything. But with that said, um, you know, I take a really holistic view and, and I want to look at their cortisol levels because that can contribute to sugar cravings. That, that's the stress hormone. Uh, and often it's deficient in people who are in early alcohol recovery. They have low, low cortisol levels or maybe they have high cortisol levels. I mean, we want to find out what's going on for them. And then addressing that can impact their appetites and their sugar cravings. And, and, and now looking at what's going on with the gut, we know that the gut, the gut health is so involved in what we crave, um, our, our appetite. Uh, so anyway, just again, taking a really holistic viewpoint and, and seeing like what are those things that might be out of whack that we can bring back into balance.
Yeah, yeah. So it makes a lot of sense to get everything tested, doesn't it, and see what mm-hmm. what's going on. So yeah, the gut. Let's talk about the gut because uh, I heard that drinking alcohol, your body almost sees that as an infection because it's such a toxin. So that mm. starts inflammation and the immune system gets all excited. Is, is that what happens? Talk to us about what happens. Yeah. Now there is there is some interesting research on that. And most of the research, um, when I've looked into substance use disorders and the impact on the gut, most of the research really is on alcohol. They've looked in the research, and this is both in people and in animals, it, when you use substances, and for sure alcohol, uh, it changes the gut microbiome. So the bacteria that resides in the gut, you know, it changes it. Even after a few drinks or regular drinking, uh, it shifts it in a way that is uh, pro-inflammatory. So what that means is that when you have residents in your gut, that are not beneficial, that are actually detrimental, they can release chemicals. And it also changes alterations in the lining of the gut so that chemicals are released into the bloodstream that cause inflammation. So it triggers your immune system to release inflammatory chemicals. And when those chemicals are in the brain, that causes neuroinflammation. And when it's in the liver, you know, it's going to contribute to liver damage. And so throughout the body, you have these inflammatory processes going that are damaging to the different systems. Yeah. So that's the leaky gut syndrome, isn't it? That's leaky gut. And then there's that connection to neuroinflammation. And we know that neuroinflammation is connected to so many mental health disorders now, right? So depression, anxiety disorders, including PTSD. Yeah. Um, obsessive compulsive disorders. Uh, not that PTSD as far as an anxiety disorder, but PTSD also um, has an inflammatory component. So it's really important to, to treat the gut because that that's where a lot of this is starting from. Yeah, yeah. We're learning more and more about the gut, aren't we, and how important it is. Absolutely. And- the immune system. I mean, if there's one thing we need to keep strong in these COVID days, it's our immune system, right. isn't it? If you are unfortunate enough to get sick, then um, you're going to be in a much better place to fight it if you've got a strong immune system. Absolutely. And that's a really good point. You know, I haven't thought about that. I mean, it seems like an obvious point, right? Like, I think that's a really compelling pe- uh, compelling reason for people who might be kicking around the idea of cutting back their alcohol or not drinking at all. Yeah, for sure. There's there's a link there because we know that people who get the sickest from COVID ha- already have pre-existing inflammation in their body. So if you can help bring that down, that's going to be important. Yeah, we have a doctor in our community and she talked to us about uh, she, you know, she's seen people in ICU, obviously, with COVID. And she said, what happens is, you know, if they're drinkers and they have all this inflammation, there's mm-hmm. like a cytokine storm. You know, the right. everything is fighting because your body's fighting COVID, fighting, you know, the alcohol. And it's, they're just a lot less likely to survive. So mm-hmm. I thought that was, that was quite a compelling reason. <laughs> That and, you know, we're learning more about people with that long hauler syndrome, too. Yes, yes. And nobody wants that. I actually, I had COVID earlier in the year. I had it when it, Arizona was like, we had the peak peak rates in 
all the country in January um, before we had access to a vaccine. And we did get COVID in my family and despite all the precautions. So that was really eye-opening for me. And I did experience brain fog for quite a bit. And it was really disturbing. Um, and, and so it really, again, just, you know, anything you can do to help protect yourself because yeah. nobody, nobody yeah. wants to suffer from these sort of things. No. So when people come to you in recovery, you take them on, uh, you've got a nice phrase on your website, an integrative recovery journey. That sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How does that work? Just take us through the process. Imagine I'm in your office and I've just ditched and I'm feeling completely miserable and I'm run down. What would you do with me? I would meet with you. We'd go over your history Uh, I'm doing remote health right now. And so I would do like a virtual exam, physical exam, uh, and and then really take all the information that you give me and just decide like, hey, where do we want to go? What kind of testing do we want to do? And, And just really give people an overview of what the timeline and what the treatments for that would look like. So I, I, I like the idea of rather than just going from appointment to appointment, I really like the idea of having a goal in mind, which is your goal, and I'll give input to that. So let's say you come to me and you're like, I want to sleep better and I want more energy. You know, that's really, that's that's what we're shooting for. And so as we continue to meet, uh, that's really what we're looking at as far as like, how are we meeting your goals? And uh, what are the steps that need to happen to get there? So that, that's yeah. what it is. Sounds great. And I was looking at your course the other day. That looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Who have you written that for? Who have you got in mind? People in recovery themselves or practitioners? Yeah. Or It's how to begin to heal your body. And I just, I really took the information. Uh, th- this is what I've been doing forever with people working in treatment centers, especially people in early recovery or maybe people in recovery who want to get healthy and they don't know where to start. So it's really those folks, like, I really want to educate them about what gets out of whack uh, as a result of their addiction and what can we do to help bring it back. Uh, And maybe they've never felt great. Maybe this is the first time that they're doing this. And for other people, maybe they had in the past and they want to get back to that. So it really brings in some nutrition. It brings in, we know so much more about the nervous system now. So all those topics that we know that can really help support people and heal their bodies and their brains. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com that's janet j-a-n-e-t at tribesober.com and we'll send you an invitation wonderful and how how have you structured it is it a series of videos or workbooks yeah Yeah. it's it's five videos uh with a little bit of workbook stuff Mm -hmm. right and how long would it take someone to work their way through it Oh, not too long. I, I wanted to keep the videos pretty concise. I understand that people learn better uh, within like, you know, a 20 to 30 minute increment. Um, because once you go beyond that, I think they don't really like hold on to it is what I've read. So that sounds great. So people can find that on your website. Um, Absolutely. Just remi- remind me what your website's called. It's integrativerecoverymedicine.com. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. And your your Instagram is Don Battelle, I think. Isn't it's it? uh, Doctor Dr. and then Don yeah. Bantel. Yes. Right. Yeah. I like your Instagram. I'll have to have a look at your TikTok as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Down there with the kids. There's a big sobriety group on there. Uh, lots of sobriety groups actually on TikTok, aren't there? It's it's fascinating with TikTok because you know we all have different algorithms. So depending on what you like, like. My algorithm is totally different from my 17-year-old daughter's algorithm. So it just depends on what you're drawn to there. So, you know, people more in our age group, we have, um, we're going to see videos of people who are more our generation and more topics that we're interested in. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. It's really, it's it's super entertaining. It's a big time suck. So I just want to caution people, if you go there, uh, just be mindful because it's so easy to fall down the hole and, and spend hours on there. <laughs> I expect your 17-year-old daughter will leave TikTok now you're on it. <laughs> My first followers were her friends. So that was All really right. flattering. I know. And and that's one of the things I really love about TikTok is like I'm realizing like this is an opportunity to really do some education for people that are younger who really don't yeah. know anything about no. any, anything related to this. I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went into a couple of schools here in South Africa and mm. talked to teenagers, you know, about alcohol. I just, I called it, um, I said, 10 things alcohol will do to you or something. I made it quite dramatic. Good, good, they love <laughs> and, that. Yeah, but they were genuinely amazed, you know, they had no idea. No they knew idea. drugs were bad, hard drugs were bad, but alcohol, I mean, they just saw it like drinking fruit juice, really. They didn't see anything wrong with it. Absolutely. And I live in a college town. And uh, if we walk through downtown in the evening on a weekend, uh, we'll just see people like staggering around drunk. I mean, it's just, we know like binge drinking rates are up. People are drinking so much more alcohol when they drink. It's really, really problematic. Yeah. Yeah. I think the universities should should do more. I mean, universities that I know about, you know, that I went to, they have these freshers week and they just <laughs> encourage, you know, the new students to that it, these yeah. freshers weeks, they're sponsored by liquor companies. Mm. <laughs> just crazy. But I think, you know, obviously it's you've got groups of young, intelligent people in college. If if only you can educate them. Really, if people really knew what it did, then I don't think they would binge drink, certainly. Let's talk about your lifestyle. Mm. (laughs) You look fabulous. You look full of beans and health. And uh, Mm -hmm. just take us through your, your routine. Yeah, and it's taken a long time. I think I just want to preface it with it often can feel overwhelming. I know on social media, there's like so much advice out there. And and I just encourage people to consider if they, they start want to making changes, maybe just change one thing at a time, maybe change your breakfast that you're eating every day. Um, but again, I know I, I did say, you know, people are all in often, which is cool, too. I mean, if, if you have the ability to do that, definitely do that. So uh, as far as I, I am, I, I really am a big believer in the morning routine. Even before it became popular, um, I, a number of years ago, just started setting my alarm early and um, starting my day with a meditation and working out every day. Like, gosh, it's really, I know that's how I've managed my anxiety lifetime. I've had lifelong anxiety for sure. And um, that's made the biggest difference is being able to exercise every morning and really like just start the day. Um, 
in that manner. And uh, just, and I'm, I'm really dedicated to uh, nutrition too. I mean, that's really important. My, my kids rag on me nonstop about it. <laughs> um, but, but I really just, the research continues to show like how important this is. We know like having a varied plant-based diet um, is really going to feed those good gut bacteria. And then we know that's going to support everything else. It's going to support our brain health and everything else. So anyway, it, that, that's very important to me. Those are the things that I really emphasize. Are you a vegetarian or a you know, vegan? I've, or? Yeah, I've actually, I've been a vegetarian since I was a child, really. Um, I do eat some seafood, uh, so I'm not vegan, but but definitely trend more towards vegan diet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, we know about how people can contact you. A anything else you'd like to to mention? Any last words? It's been so nice talking to you. Oh, thank you. I just, if again, just want to really support people and keep trying this, you know, and to reach out for help and to follow people like you, Janet, and uh, plug themselves into programs. They don't have to do this alone. And there's a lot of support out there. And um, just as more and more information comes out, uh, we'll continue to pass that along and, and make sure people yeah. get what they need so they can have a good recovery. It's worth it. So let's try and pick out a few highlights from our conversation. Dawn agrees that if we want to be really healthy, we shouldn't drink at all. And just recently, she was surprised to learn that even a few glasses of wine a week will raise a woman's risk of breast cancer. We talked about alcohol and anxiety and how it was a real issue. It may calm the brain at first, but then it will just go on to increase the anxiety. And Dawn explained to us that she did a short video on TikTok explaining about the link between alcohol and anxiety, and it got an amazing half a million views. She pointed out that people who develop addictions tend to be all or nothing kind of people, and that is so true. We've often said that. And Dawn takes advantage of this tendency with her clients. She finds they put their all into getting healthy, just as they did with their substance abuse. So once we get people on the right track, there's no stopping them. She believes that recovery gives people a second chance at life. And I certainly can relate to that. I asked her for some guidelines about healing after years of alcohol abuse. Obviously, sleep, diet, and exercise are the main pillars of recovery, but Dr. Dawn feels particularly strongly about the value of sleep. The problem with poor sleep is that it'll put us at risk of relapse. So she urges people in recovery to find something that will help them to sleep. Obviously, as a naturopathic doctor, she favors natural remedies. For example, green tea, amino acids, there are plenty of choices out there. But if you tried everything and it's still not working for you, then she urges you just to try meds for a short time at the beginning. We discuss the value of community in recovery and how there is such relief in meeting others on the same path. We're not alone. We're not broken. We're not diseased. And those of us further along the journey can reassure people of the various stages that they're going to go through because we've been there and we've got through to the other side. In her work, Dawn has discovered that many people with alcohol dependency are high flyers, very successful people 
who feel that they've achieved so much that they should be able to fix their addiction issue alone. But of course, it's extremely hard to do that. And we all need to remember that connection is the opposite of addiction. We talked about pause, post-acute withdrawal symptoms, anxiety, depression, lack of joy, low energy seem to be the main ones. And that's because it takes time for the body to adapt to sobriety, time to heal. Dawn mentioned that a guideline that she uses is a month in recovery for every year of drinking. The value of such a guideline is that it helps people to understand that they need to be patient. We get people on our groups who say, I've been alcohol free for three weeks now and I still don't feel great. What's going on? We must be patient. But on the bright side, there will be some quick wins. Obviously, within weeks, you're going to be enjoying the fact that you have no more hangovers in the morning, that your skin is looking better, your eyes are looking brighter, no more 3 a.m. wake-ups filled with guilt and anxiety. There are quick wins, so enjoy those quick wins. Start enjoying everyday pleasures and just hang in there, and it'll get better and better. We talked about the importance of gut health and the fact that alcohol damages the microbiome and causes leaky gut. In Dawn's practice, she takes people on what she calls an integrative recovery journey. She starts off with extensive testing, and then she sets goals with the client for healing their brain and body. She also has a course to educate people in recovery, which can be purchased from her website, which is called integrativerecoverymedicine.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Dr. Dawn has a great Instagram feed, so do follow her. The handle is Dr. Dawn Bantel. She has some really great practical tips and videos on there. Here in South Africa, we've just moved into spring, and sure enough, the sun is shining. Every year, Tribe Sober runs a Sober Spring Challenge, 66 alcohol-free days with online audio and community support. It's great fun because we put our challenges on what we call the Sober Spring Bus, which is, of course, a WhatsApp group, and they travel through the 66 days together. We run two buses every year. The first Sober Spring Bus left on the 1st of September, and our second bus leaves on the 27th of September. So please go to tribesober.com if you'd like more info. And even if it's not spring where you live, you can still do a sober autumn with us. And if you're too late to sign up for sober spring or sober autumn, then check us out anyway on tribesober.com. You might decide to join our membership program. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. And I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.